Hello, and thank you for joining us at King's Cross Church in Fort Mill for our time in God's Word. Today, we are going to be looking at the end of Philippians chapter 3. But before we get to that, I, I want us to think about how we get from where we are to some new place that we've never been before. But right now, we speak into that magic rectangle that most of us keep in our pockets or in our purses, and we simply say, give me directions to Portland, Oregon. And as if by magic, suddenly it says, here's how you get to Portland, Oregon. And then you can make choices right there on the magic rectangle. But many years ago, in bygone times, when you wanted to go from where you were to some new place like Portland, Oregon, you couldn't just speak to a magic rectangle. Instead, you had to speak to a human being who knew how to get there. Or you had to find this amazing ancient document called a map. And on it, you could trace a route to enable you to get to Portland. Now, can you imagine if you and your family were all set to go on family vacation in Portland, but you didn't consult anyone and you didn't have a map, and three days later, you ended up in Tempe, Arizona. Now, Tempe is a wonderful place. It's a great place to visit. Uh, but if you were expecting Portland, Oregon, it would be a little bit of a disappointment. Well, it would uh, not happen had you consulted the right person or followed the map. Well, in our spiritual lives, uh, in many similar ways, we're heading in a direction or to a destination that we haven't been to before. In the text we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul says uh, that we are heading toward where our citizenship already resides, and that's heaven itself. How are we going to get there? There isn't an app on that magic rectangle that we can say, hey, what do I need to do to get closer to my heavenly home? Or, hey, what do I need to do today to become more like Jesus? Well, instead, we need to talk to people who know about how to get from where we are to where we want to go. And in spiritual terms, that means we need to look at God's Word, we need to listen to God's Spirit, and we need to keep our eyes on people who are heading in the right direction. And so let's keep that in mind as we look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 17, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. Listen as I read God's Word. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. 
when we read it, we recognize our need for God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you have given us your word. Now guide us. Guide us with your word. Guide us with your spirit. And oh Lord, use even me to guide your people toward this goal, to understand our citizenship in heaven, to reach the goal of our full enjoyment of it, and to enable us to become more like Jesus each and every day, including today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this text today, we're going to look at three different kinds of people. We're going to look at pace setters, we're going to look at deceivers, and we're going to look at citizens. But first, I want us to talk about pace setters. I pull that really from this first verse in our text, verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is saying to this group of people that he wants them to get to the same goal he's moving toward. And we can see his goal if we just look back to last week's message, or better yet, look back up just a few verses uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and it says in verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where is Paul heading? He's heading toward his upward call uh, from God in Christ Jesus, and he is doing it with all of his might. He says he presses and he strains. And now he looks to these precious uh, Philippian Christians and he says, I want you to get there too. He says, so follow me. Follow me. As I'm heading there, I want you to get there. And so imitate me, he says. Now that might sound interesting to us that Paul would tell a group of people to imitate him. But it's not that unusual. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian Christians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? Be imitators of me as I am of, of Christ. Or here in Philippians chapter 3, uh, brothers join in imitating me. Well, now last week we looked at what Paul says uh, back in verse 12. He's not obtained uh, the ultimate answer to everything spiritual. He isn't claiming to be perfect. He hasn't obtained all that he has, but he's heading in that direction. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to get to that destination too. And so follow me. It really makes me think of what we call a pace setter in this world today. A pace setter is someone who makes sure that other people uh, get to where they're going, and oftentimes at the pace they should be going. One of my favorite pace setter stories is from just a wonderful godly woman uh, that uh, served and, and worked in uh, my uh, church in Naperville, Illinois. She was an ultra marathoner. Now, <laughs> I know, I, I know all these very athletic people, and I am so not athletic uh, myself, but yet she would run ultra marathons, which means you run way more than a marathon. Sometimes 100, 112 and up miles at one time. And so when it came time for the local Chicago marathon, well, she didn't really have to worry about just running a plain old 26.2 miles. And so uh, true to her character, she would serve 
And how would she serve? She would serve as a pace setter. What that involved is they would hand her a sign that had a goal of a finish time on it. And I don't remember, I'm sure she's done it many, many times, but let's say you wanted to run the marathon in four hours because that's a really good amateur runner goal. Well, if you wanted to get to that goal, you found the pace setter that was running along with a sign that said four hours. And that person was going to be sure to keep you on the pace needed to reach the goal of finishing the marathon in four hours. Now, that's amazing. Was that person claiming to be perfect? Were they claiming to be uh, the, uh, the person that was the best runner in the world? No, they were simply claiming to be someone who would help others get to the destination they were going to in the way they hoped to get there. Apostle Paul is saying, I'm doing that for you. I am guarding myself and watching myself uh, to such an extent that I am staying close to Christ in faith. I am watching my life, my speech, my heart in such a way that it is always pointed toward the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And if you want to get there, just follow along with me. But what I love about this statement of Paul's, he says, I'm not the only one. There are others that are doing the same thing. And I think when he said this, he might have been referring to someone like uh, Epaphroditus uh, that uh, he had already commended to the Philippians, someone who had served him while he was in prison. And he would have said, look, there's somebody going hard in the right direction toward heavenly things. Keep pace with them. They're a pace setter. They're making sure that you're leading in the right direction. Well, what do you want to make sure is true of any pace setter? I think two things. One, that they're heading in the right direction in the right way. And secondly, is that they actually care that you get there. And there is no question when we look at what the Apostle Paul says that he cares about these people. Notice he began this part of the text by saying brothers, which could be interpreted brothers and sisters. It's a, a familial term of affection. But notice uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I, I wrote as I was writing notes about this text uh, that we could really uh, basically, uh, I mean, it would very much be a bad translation, but it would get the idea across. We could say what Paul says this way. Therefore, my dearly loved brothers and sisters, whom I love and love, my love and love, stand firm this thus in the Lord, my beloved. Because every one of the phrases he uses is a term of affection. He calls them brothers, which can be understood as brothers and sisters. He says explicitly, I love you. He says, I long for you. He says, you're my joy. He says, you're my crown. Which means that when we finally get where we're all heading, you and you receiving all that God has for you, that will be the victor's crown that I want to see you accomplish the best that God has for you. He loves them. Now that is very important. When we today, who don't have the advantage of having the Apostle Paul uh, that we can be in a relationship with, we need to ask ourselves who is giving all of their energy to enjoy and move closer to Christ and who also loves us. That's a relationship that will enable us to reach the goal of Christ Jesus. 
But secondly, Paul needs them to understand that not everybody who seems to be a pace setter really is. There are some people who want you to follow them, but they're going to lead you in the wrong direction. Now here in our text, uh, in verse 18, uh, he talks about them as being enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, truthfully, we don't know exactly who these people were. Uh, most writers don't believe they're anybody necessarily that's mentioned so far in the book. They're not people who are trying to make his life in prison harder by preaching the gospel in some way. Uh, they're not people who, are, who would be referred to as Judaizers, people who wanted them to participate in circumcision. And they're not just plain old non-believers. Why do we say that? Because it talks about them, uh, Paul talks about them with tears. In other words, it breaks his heart who these people are and what they're doing. And that's the heart of a pastor who has seen someone go astray. He says they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does Paul mean? He means these are deceivers. Not pace-setters, but deceivers. They look like they're heading in a good direction, but in fact, they're heading to a horrible one. To go back to our original illustration, they will not get you to Portland. They will get you to Tempe, somewhere even hotter than that. And he calls them uh, evil. He doesn't say it boastfully, or he doesn't say it thumping his chest. He says it with tears, because their direction and their encouraging other people to follow them breaks his heart. But he says, don't follow them. Now, we don't know who these people are that Paul is referring to, but we can identify people who are deceivers uh, even in our world. He really gives us several questions uh, that we can ask when we hear someone claiming to help us uh, go get closer to the Lord and get further toward our goal of enjoying Him forever. The first thing that we would ask is, what do they these people that we're encountering, what do they make of the cross? What do they make of the cross? Now, when we ask that question, we're not simply saying, do they mention the cross? Do they wear a cross? Do they hang a cross up uh, where they minister uh, or have one like me in, in their home? Uh, what we're asking is, is the cross central to everything they teach and to everything they live? And what we mean by the cross is really just sort of a summary of the gospel. That is, that people are sinners. I'm a sinner. That I'm in need of someone to rescue me. That God in His love became a man and humbled Himself, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, humbles Himself even to the point of death on a cross, which is humiliating and shameful in that world, and then rose from the dead uh, to show that it, his death had effect. It enabled people who were separated from God because of their sin to be made right with him. Now, let's face it, that kind of message isn't a feel-good kind of message. It's not a, a positive, happy thing. When we hear it, it's a little bit offensive because it offends our pride. Because internally, we really do believe we're good enough. Or if we're not now, we will be if we really work hard at it. And the Apostle Paul says these deceivers are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because they won't make much of that. They downplay sin. They downplay our need for repentance and faith in Christ. And you know what? Even today, 
in the church. And I don't mean any one particular uh, denomination or part of the church. I mean all over the place. There are deceivers who minimize the cross. It is, they, they boil down Christianity uh, into basically a sign-up sheet or worse yet, uh, something you get by getting enough spiritual merit badges. And Paul says don't fall after them because they're not pace-setters, they're deceivers. But secondly, we would ask, where do these teachers that we might entrust ourselves to, that we might follow along with, where do their pleasures lie? See, for the Apostle Paul, he said, everything that I used to think of as significant, I now count as rubbish that I might gain Christ, that I might know Him. He says, these deceivers have another God altogether. Notice what he says in the text. He says, their God is their belly. Now, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean that they love eating? No, it means they are completely controlled and motivated by their appetites. And he doesn't just mean appetites in terms of eating and drinking. He probably means something very similar that he says in Colossians uh, in chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, Paul says, be on the lookout for people who sound like they're saying things about Jesus and how to become more like Him and seem to be going in a direction that helps us enjoy eternity with Him. But in reality... Their passions are all about the pleasures they can enjoy. Now, they may not be as wanton as the first in the list in Colossians, but they very well may be covetousness. That really what they're pursuing is that bigger building, that bigger home, that bigger car. You know, I remember hearing when I was a kid, uh, not in the churches where I attended, but sometimes on the radio as I delivered papers as a high school student, I remember hearing preachers who talked about visualizing that brand new expensive car in your driveway. And what they were telling people is that you should have a passion for, you should have an appetite for the same things I have an appetite for, which of course was stuff. And the problem is that Paul says when you do that, those appetites and that stuff becomes your idol. Or as he says here in our text today, it becomes your God. And so we don't want to follow people who aren't uh, worshiping and heading toward the true God, uh, but are instead pursuing their own appetites. But the third question we would need to ask uh, is where is their treasure? Notice how Paul says it. Uh, he says that their glory, the second part of verse 19, they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. They glory in their shame. Now, some writers believe that this is a reference to glorying in things that people who really understand what honors God and uh, how to live for God, uh, you just shouldn't do. That instead, they come along and say, you can do that all you want. They glory in it. They say, you might have been told uh, not to lie, cheat, and chew, or go out with girls who do, but we're saying, brag about it. Make a big deal about it. And Paul is saying, no. 
Because all of those things are things about the right here and right now, which is temporal and passing away. The Apostle Paul doesn't want people want his, these precious people that he loves and, and uh, prays for. He doesn't want them following after someone who are only going to lead him to nothing but earthly things. You see, if our treasure is all the stuff we can have, get, and enjoy in this world, we will never be drawn uh, to a deeper relationship with Christ. And we will never be drawn to enjoying eternity with Him. Why? Because we will want everything here. Which, to be honest, as C.S. Lewis said and is often quoted, is like making mud pies uh, you know, in a puddle instead of a holiday at the sea. You see, the Apostle Paul wants us to be careful because not just in the first century, but even in the 21st century, there are teachers who claim to be spiritual and even Christian teachers who are leading people the wrong direction. And what he doesn't want are people who are precious to him ending up in the destination that those folks are leading them and being gravely disappointed. So watch out. Watch out. For those people. But thirdly, he talks about being a citizen. We really get that language as he contrasts uh, the end result of these deceivers, which he says their end is destruction, which again, he doesn't say crowingly, but tearfully. He says, though, but you, Philippian Christian, what does he say about that? He says that your citizen, verse, uh, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For He will, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. He says, you are a citizen of heaven. Now, when the Apostle Paul uses this, uh, this picture of being a citizen of heaven, he is talking to people who understand this maybe better than we do ourselves. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony, but it wasn't in Rome. It was in Macedonia. But uh, Philippi had a very unique place in the Roman Empire. People who were born in Philippi had the right of being Roman citizens. And they took this very seriously. They dressed like Romans. They spoke uh, Latin like Romans. They built their buildings like Romans. In other words, they weren't in Rome, but you might have thought so if you hung out there. But they understood what it, mean to be, what it meant to be a citizen of somewhere you weren't physically present in at the moment. The Apostle Paul wants them and us to understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who has admitted our sin and accepted by faith that wonderful gift that He gives us through His death and resurrection, that those people, us people, are citizens of heaven. We don't live there yet, but we are every bit a citizen of heaven. That is our true home. That's where we belong. And by using this kind of explanation, what Paul is saying is maybe being around you, or if you have a family, your family, or if you're single, your roommates, or if you work, your workmates, or if you go to school, your schoolmates, maybe being around you should be like being in heaven just a little bit. And that's something for us to consider. And Paul says that you want to be this kind of 
citizen. Now, the Apostle Peter says it on the other side of the coin. He says that we are aliens and strangers here. And really, that's just the other side of the coin. Being a citizen in heaven means that if we're not there yet, that we are an alien and a stranger. And this is helpful for us. It is helpful for us because we don't want to settle in too much here. That's why oftentimes uh, people who have greatly been influenced by God's Spirit and grace have hung on very loosely to the things of this world. The stuff, the opportunities, the accolades, all of that held loosely because they know that it's simply passing on and that they don't live here that their ultimate, or they don't belong here, their ultimate home is heaven itself. And that's helpful for us who live where we live. You know, John Calvin, uh, the uh, reformer from the 16th century uh, in Geneva, he had this quote about this idea. He said, you must be conversant with heaven in mind and affection as a citizen of heaven. That means that my mind and my affections need to be about it because that's where I belong. Now, notice the contrast that Paul draws. I've already read and we've talked about those deceivers, uh, but he talks about glory and shame or glory and humility in different ways, referring to those deceivers and referring to citizens. About those deceivers, in verse 19, he said, their end is destruction, uh, uh, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. But listen to what he says uh, about citizens. He says, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body. He said the deceivers are actually going from temporal glory to eternal shame, whereas the believer, the citizen of heaven, is going from a lowly, or uh, to be literal, a uh, body that is humble to a body that is defined by glory, they are going the other direction. And that's helpful. And it helps us even now when the glory seems to pass us by in this life, Paul says it won't always. Because what seems humble now will be made glorious then. And that's a promise to a citizen of heaven, uh, right? While we're away from heaven, humility. And when we get there with Jesus Christ, glory. But lastly, I want us to look at this text as we think about being a citizen. The goal of being a citizen isn't just having a new body. And, and, and I like to imagine what that will be. I love uh, here that Paul says, uh, we'll transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, referring to Jesus. Our body is going to be like his body. And you know what? If it's good enough for Jesus, it is more than good enough for me. And sometimes we make that the goal. That that's the whole goal, to get that new body. And we might be thinking that particularly uh, during this time at the very end of April in 2020. We might be thinking, what I really want is a body that can't get sick, that can't um, die. Well, that, that is an, a benefit, but it's a side benefit. The real benefit is getting what Paul calls here in this text, our Savior, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to understand that for the people in Philippi, they served as Roman citizens under a Caesar who called himself sometimes Savior. Now, I'm 
pointing this out because the word Savior is actually not a very common word in uh, the Pauline writing, believe it or not. This title he gives to Jesus here for them to understand their true hope isn't Caesar. He is not the one who will save them, but it is Jesus. And that Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is. And that's very important. It's important for us even today, even though we don't have Caesar uh, today in our life claiming to be Lord and our Savior, I think sometimes we treat other people in situations like they could be. Uh, I remember a song years ago that talked about not looking to Washington to be a Savior for you. But sometimes we do. We could say there are people who look to Wall Street to be their Savior. There are people who look to their uh, children and grandchildren to be their Savior. There are people who look to their 401k to be their Savior. There are people who look to the many wonderful doctors who are researching cures to this terrible virus to be the Savior. But Paul reminds us there's only one Savior. There's only one who will really save. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important. I remember an illustration that Pastor John Piper used years ago. He said, when we think about being in heaven, what do we think about? You see, so often we think about being well and not dying and seeing loved ones. And he asked this question, would your idea of heaven be just as good if Jesus were not there? He said, if your idea of heaven would be just as good, even if Jesus was not there, there's a very good chance you won't be there. You see, heaven is for people who love and enjoy Jesus Christ. For a believer, heaven is about being with Jesus. And the more you know about Jesus, the more you learn about Him, the more you know His heart and His love, then the more you really do want to be with Him. But that's what we need to focus on. Our citizenship allows us not just to have a new body, but to have a new body so that we can enjoy Jesus forever. How are we going to get from here to there? We have to keep our eyes on the people who maybe have gone before us centuries ago. And we have to keep our eyes on people who are faithfully following Him today. And we need to remember that we keep our eyes on them, as Paul said over in 1 Corinthians, as they are following Christ. We look at Christ, we see their life matches up to, to the direction that Christ invites us to follow, and we follow them as our pace setters while being careful not to fall for the deceiver so that we can enjoy the full value of our citizenship in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for how good You are to us. And pray even now that You will again strengthen our love and anticipation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we know that for those who have faith, it is our citizenship right to know and enjoy Him forever. We cannot wait. Oh Lord, but enable us between now and then to follow your word and your spirit and those pace setters.
that have followed you, Lord Jesus, and will help us get to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us uh, for our time in God's Word. We really do appreciate it. Now, the time is getting uh, on, and, and some uh, churches I know are opening up. And if that's true uh, pray, of you, praise God. I'm glad you're able to worship safely with God's people. We at King's Cross are, have just found out that the facility that we rent is going to be allowing us back in, most likely, Lord willing, June the 7th. And so we look forward to being together safely for worship on June the 7th. Now, if uh, you are still separated from your church body on Sundays because of this uh, coronavirus, I encourage you again, make sure you're giving uh, to your home church and supporting them. And uh, if you want to be a part of the mission of King's Cross, well, we would love most if you came and were part of us physically with your time and energy and all the gifts and wonderful things that you would bring. If you want to financially be a partner with us, obviously uh, that will enable us to accomplish our goal uh, as well. But people are more important than their money. And uh, either way, we pray that God will bless you. And that's why we have a blessing. Uh, at the very end of each message, we have this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.